0: Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This episode, we're going to be talking ice fishing targeting Northern Pike. All right, welcome back to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for tuning in. So, yeah so this episode we're diving into talking pike fishing or northern pike uh you know basically now that we finally have gotten some some nice uh you know weather essentially to get some good ice uh been been able to get out and target some northern pike you know basically this is kind of a, a newer type of fishing for me you know I started ice fishing again from back from when I was a kid just last year and you know I really started to focus on northern pike uh, for whatever reason I've been completely hooked on going after this type of fish uh, you know I grew up bass fishing uh, primarily and it's only been the past few years I've kind of transitioned want to go after a different species and you know I basically kind of focused in on northern pike so again you know been waiting on some good ice ever since hunting season got over with and uh, unfortunately it looks like we're going to be getting some warm weather and some rain uh, in the forecast so it looks like that you know good ice is going to be short-lived at least for another week or two um, you know hopefully we get some cold temperatures which look like could be happening over the course of the next weekend but we're gonna to have to wait it out uh, because even on some of the bigger lakes you know some of that ice has been kind of uh, kind of iffy so So that's what the main discussion for the podcast is going to be, but I did want to uh, go over a couple of things, again, news-wise for the Conservation News Desk, you know, something that I think is important to share as part of the show, just to be able to keep up with some news-type events or news-type stories that, you know, revolve around conservation, um, you know, either either within the state of Michigan, or even across the country, or throughout the world even. You know, it's good to kind of keep up to date on things that are kind of happening in the world. And some of this stuff's pretty interesting, so I want to share it with you now. So let's get into it. So this first story is from ZME Science. This article came out January 24th, and it's wolves in Alaska ate all the deer, then they did something unexpected. Now, again, the title's a little, uh misleading is making you think that they're eating all the all the deer in alaska but no this is actually just a story of a pack of wolves that colonized an island so pleasant island in alaska is a 20 square mile island that in 2013 a group of wolves you know moved in onto the island and scientists were interested to see what would happen uh to the deer population on that island so they started, you know observing you know anticipating that the wolves were going to go after the deer and then their original prediction was that once the deer were gone or eaten down to where it wouldn't sustain the wolves anymore that they would move back to the mainland which is only uh, one and a half kilometers uh, away so part of their prediction came true the wolves absolutely hammered the deer uh Deer population was right around um, 200 and it absolutely plummeted. Uh, But instead of the wolves moving off the island after their primary food source, uh, you know, basically was uh, eaten down to nothing. They shifted their uh, diet to sea otters. Which was completely un, unexpected uh, by the researchers. So, you're probably thinking, you know, how the heck are they going after sea otters? Well, of course, they're targeting them once they come up on land. So, these wolves were being tracked through GPS collars. Um, and back in 2015, they found that the primary food source of the wolves was deer, representing 75% of their diet. Uh, but in 2017, they transitioned. To eating primary otters which became 57% of their diet and deer only made up 7% so basically you know there were still deer on the on the island but there was so little of them that they ended up switching their primary food stores away from the deer and then the researchers all noted that this held throughout 2020 and then the study was ended so the big question with this story is or with this research project is how is it affecting the otter population uh, you know, in the area and around the island. You know, basically those those otters did have a rough history in the 20, or the 19th and 20th century. Of course, they were, you know, hunted and basically nearly wiped out in the area as well. So, and with the sea otters, you know, they weren't really expecting the wolves to really target them uh, being, you know, basically either on the shoreline or in the ocean. So, basically, what they noticed is that these wolves were basically scavenging off of dead sea otters that are washed up on shore or if any of the sea otters were up on the shore um, basically you know resting or you know basically just coming out of the sea for a while they they noticed that the wolves were actually hunting and ambushing these otters when they're on land of course they're very uh, very swift in the water but once they're on land they are quite slow and they also noticed even that you know some of the wolves were getting some of the sea otters uh, you know in very shallow water as well so not even you know not e- or not even just on land but even in very shallow water where the wolves could still get them they were becoming very proficient at harvesting these sea otters so researchers have been watching you know the effects of these marine animals uh, with dealing with predators however they hadn't considered you know the implication of these wolves on what they would do to the numbers so it's certainly something now that they have to take in consideration when looking at these numbers of otters um to predation you know they have to add the wolves as part of their model uh in and around the area and basically at this point now they don't know how the sea otters are adapting or if they're even adapting at all uh to these new predators you know basically you know sea otters have been you know evolving you know for probably thousands of years with other marine animals and and dealing with um, predation that way and have adapted certain you know tendencies and traits and you know adaptations to uh make up for that now wolves at least for you know for sake of argument that they're not used to these wolves um preying on them. i'm sure they have some history with wolves um, in other areas but this is a new area for them that they haven't adapted to yet so now they're looking at how is this going to affect the sea for that area. You know, basically these wolves now are making it very dangerous for them to come up on shore and, you know, basically try to rest and conserve energy. So, you know, you're going to see a drop in their numbers, um, you know, the ones that are making it on shore and um, getting preyed upon. And then also those that decide that they're not going to come into shore, you know, they could start running into where... You know they might die of exhaustion or become more, you know, more easy prey for the marine predators. Uh, basically, because now these sea otters not rested and um, in a compromised state uh, when those predators come go after them. So at this point, they really don't know, you know, what the long term implication of these wolves sticking around and, you know, transitioning their primary uh, food source to these otters. So it'll be definitely something. Very interesting going forward Um, you know basically if they decided they want to research this again or continue to monitor how these wolves you know are affecting the landscape which you know that kind of makes me think about you know basically the mainland with here in the United States of wolves that are you know basically kind of left unchecked and what type of implications that can have Uh, On a landscape or some of the other wildlife, Um, you know, once they've eaten a food source down, that they may transition to something that may not be as equipped to handle uh, the predation. So, again, the topic of wolves is always a very interesting one. It comes down to, you know, there's a lot of strong feelings on what to do with them. Uh, Should they be protected? Should they be hunted? You know, certainly, you know, for me, you know i i like the idea of having wolves on the landscape but they must be uh managed they must be you know the numbers must be kept in check and you know a lot of time effort and money uh needs to go into it to continue to monitor how uh wolves coming back on the landscape is affecting um you know the overall environment the other animals and especially now you know having wolves starting to expand their territories into new areas as to how that's going to affect you know human interactions as well so certainly something that is very interesting again doesn't really apply to most of the country but it is interesting seeing how wolves um, are very adaptive at finding new food sources and thriving so certainly an interesting story and one to take in consideration when it comes to thinking about wolves within the united states alright let's get into this next story so this here is an article from the National Deer Association this came out January 25th so NDA's deer report finds that 88% of the whitetail harvested occurred on private land so this is actually just from the headline alone is very surprising to me you know having that high of a number of the whitetail harvested within the country having been on private land now you know some of it makes sense that i would expect that majority of the deer are killed on private land especially when you look at in places like texas or iowa that doesn't have much public land available that a lot of deer would be killed in those areas i am surprised at how skewed the percentage is you know i figured it'd be closer to, you know like you know 60 40 percent you know 55 40 45 but there's a very skewed uh you know percentage of deer that are being harvested and it brings up a really good point which they actually bring or talk about here in the article as well so let's get into the article a little bit here so again eighty percent of the harvest were on private land now texas reported the highest of private land deer harvested at 99 uh which is absolutely just mind-boggling you know having that many deer being harvested on private land you know being part of Michigan and having so much public land available it just I, you know I would never bet money on having that being the percentage and then they do say that Massachusetts reported the highest number of rate of public land harvest at 43 percent again massachusetts is not one i probably would have picked out on the map uh for you know having a significant number of public land deer being harvested all right and they break down that yeah most of america's 60 million acres of public land are in the west um but again you know you're looking at a smaller deer population out in the out west especially at least in regards to white deer and then also there's a far fewer uh, human population out there as well uh, so the vast majority of white tail are in the eastern states as well as the the number of hunters um, in the eastern states is much higher as well so let's look at the the top states um, for private and public land deer harvested Uh, For the 2021 2022 season. So, as mentioned before, Texas is the highest, followed by Georgia, Carolina, Kentucky, Alabama, and Virginia, which are all in the 90% percentile. Which, again, you know, this, I would never guess that, you know, especially in that many states, that the figures should be that that skewed Um, in regards to private land versus public land deer harvest and then for the public land side again massachusetts was number one with 43 percent new jersey rhode island florida and delaware um you know followed followed suit here and then they go into the actual number of deer that were killed and again this is staggering so the report the 2022 season or 2021-22 season 5.9 million uh deer harvested and 5.2 million of those whitetails were taken on private land compared to just over 700,000 on public land again you think about those numbers and how how skewed they are i would never guess you know those those numbers would be that way and then they get into the antler buck harvest was just shy of three million Is the fourth and that's the fourth highest in the past 10 ton seasons uh, down two percent from the highest um, buck harvest you know in the new century here so and again you know in comparison you know looking at the graph here you know in the early 2000s there was definitely a much higher number of antlers deer killed compared to antler deer um, you know after the about twenty fifteen or so, that definitely has kind of switched and transitioned a little bit uh, more towards uh, more antler bucks being harvested, or more uh, to a one to one ratio. Really, this is another really interesting one. Um, this one I th- I find you know more encouraging and more fascinating is the age or the buck age structure. American hunters, American deer hunters, continue to take more adult and mature bucks than ever in history of modern deer hunting. Yearling bucks made up 27% in the 2021-22 season, up 1% from the record low of 26. This means that older bucks continue to make up a large share of the harvest. 40% of the bucks harvested was three and a half years or older. So, and that really, I mean, it's almost a a one-to-one switch um, from the early 2000s where in the early 2000s you're looking at almost a 50 percent uh you know harvest rate of year and a half old bucks now for the year of 2021 they're looking at 40 percent for three and a half year olds whereas in 2001 it was just over 20 percent so definitely a transition of more and more older deer getting killed or getting harvested i guess I have to say some of this has to do with probably a lot of the point restriction And probably just the, um, the, the demographics, of hunter these days, you know, with a lot more technology being involved, uh, less and less hunters out there. A lot of those hunters are still in, into hunting or still out there hunting are transitioning more to, uh, you know, I guess maybe focusing on, you know, harvesting more, uh, older age class bucks or deer, uh. A lot more work is being put into for uh, habitat improvements and land management uh, which you know that would go in hand in hand with the number of um, private land bucks that are being harvested as well so I really like the fact that this stat is uh, showing this trend that we're starting to get a much um, better breakdown of uh, an age structure of, of bucks, you know, seeing more and more older bugs uh, that you would naturally see uh, you know they were basically left to their own devices and you know you didn't have that human interaction. So I missed it the first time through here you know they this is the part where they talk about um, you know seeing those numbers of the significant number of uh, private land bucks that were harvested you know they basically you know even come out and say that you know that's not diminishing the importance of public land hunting um, but they are you know highlighting the importance of uh, land managers or people managing their land for better deer habitat so another another good article here now if you do want to learn more or read more about uh, the deer harvest in your area you can head over to Deer the NDA or National Deer Association website download their Uh, deer report now again it is kind of uh it does kind of throw you off a little bit because it's the 2023 deer report but it's going to have the numbers um from the 2022 or 2021-22 season so it basically every year the report comes out it's a year behind um just so they can collect all that data and uh, compile it up with all the different states as well so it's very fun to go into and look at the numbers especially within your home state uh to look at see how your state's doing in regards to uh deer harvest numbers um, you know your buck harvest doe harvest and the age groups especially um the breakdown of you know the deer that are being harvested uh in your state in your county as well or your in your unit so all right so yeah so let's dive into uh talking about fishing for pike now you know again with deer season being over and we're finally getting that that good ice. You know, I've been really hitting the the lakes hard and going after pike. Now, for for whatever reason, pike has been the one on my radar. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just something about them. You know, that one of them really aggressive predators, similar to like largemouth bass, um, where they're just very aggressive. And uh, I don't know. There's just something about them. Um, you know, honestly, I think they're fantastic to eat as well. Uh, again, they're a little, they're a little tricky to uh, clean because they do have that significant Y bone, uh, basically, in part of the rib cage that runs through their body. That's a little bit trickier to get around when it comes to filleting uh, or doing your fillets. Now, I uh, pretty much when I first started getting into it, I just youtube uh, how to clean. Uh, pike and learned a, a, a pretty easy way to uh, clean them uh, getting around the Y bones essentially instead of cutting through them like you would a typical fillet and trying to trim the, the Y bones out from there I just basically you know cut around them uh, from the very get-go and then you know not have to deal with them whatsoever and then you're also able to get some additional cuts because of that long body and how meaty you know their tail section is you can actually get additional fillets off that as well as even um, you know some of the larger fish you can actually cut out the, the cheek portion um, you know at the corner of their mouth there uh, in which actually I did that on one nice pike that I got last year and it's it was fantastic I mean they're a little bit they're bite-sized pieces but uh, very tender, very good uh, you know and like I said I, I actually uh, look really I look forward to uh, you know having you know cooking up some pike. Um, especially during the winter months with the you know something about the cold water you know makes them taste even even better I would go so far as to even say that I would actually prefer um, pike over any other fish really uh, you know to eat you know I know a lot of people that are big walleye uh, fishermen or eaters you know I might even if I if I had to say with a gun to my head I would probably actually take pike over walleye now don't get me wrong walleye is fantastic as well um, very deliciousy you know very enjoyable but for me pike takes it all right so for me again i'm still learning quite a bit about you know being able to really target pike um, or really getting a good good hang of it you know i've got a couple lakes that i've kind of got figured out uh, but now i'm trying to expand on the other lakes as well so so basically what i'm looking at is again I'm a big uh, person that does a lot of mapping so I find um, you know either apps or mapping books or whatnot for lakes uh, to try to help me determine which lakes potentially have pike in them and kind of then I got start going from there so you know one the one I've been using a lot especially on my phone is the fish brain app you know again you know basically it, it is a typical phone app where you're gonna get a lot of ads. You're gonna have a lot of extra stuff that you don't really need. Two things I'm looking for on it is, you know, basically a mapping of all the lakes in my area, a depth chart, and then the types of fish that are uh, in the lake. They also have a pretty good feature where you can actually, um, if people post what they've cut or caught on the app. Uh, you can actually kind of pinpoint you know when and where they've caught fish that you can post a picture with it too you can kind of see what type of caliber fish are in the lake as well so especially on lakes that I don't really know you know where to really focus on is a really good way to be able to kind of have if other people have posted on that lake you know some good places to start now for pike again you know I have very I have a very simple approach to it where I'm focusing on Um, basically the shallows so i'm generally looking at somewhere between uh, anywhere between like 5 to 12 foot of water sometimes a little bit deeper usually somewhere in that like 7 to 8 to even maybe 10 to 11 foot of water is where i'm really focusing on the most you know with them being a predatory fish um, especially being a sight um, you know more of a sight hunter as well a lot of times you're gonna catch them creeping up in those shallows, like going after bait fish or you know smaller fish like like minnows and you know smaller bluegill, perch, stuff, stuff like that, and you'll just catch them cruising in those shallows, um, basically hunting. The other thing I like to look for is um, you know basically like weedy cover. So generally i'm hoping for to get some different type of weed growth in there stuff that can, the fish kind of hide in there where some of that bait fish may feel like they're safe in there and you'll catch a lot of those pike cruising through those weeds beds now i have um uh, you know on another i was on a lake that i was hunting <laughs> i was on a lake where i was fishing uh some of those shallows and you know basically the weeds were not quite what i was looking for they were uh, i believe what they're called um hornwort uh, where basically it creates kind of like a blanketed carpet of weeds that they all grow about a foot off the bottom but it's really thick and dense where stuff's not really hiding in it Um, you know I did try fishing around that area a little bit uh, but basically it's just kind of a desolate wasteland of just some flat flat bottom really and you know, I didn't really have any success uh, finding any fish. Even uh, didn't even really see any perch or bluegill or anything. Like that, any type of bait fish that could draw some pike in as well. So I'm generally looking for some structure that has you know basically a diversity of height and density. Um, another thing you, I try to focus on too is sometimes getting in. You know, if you're in that kind of that, that you know not really desirable weedy structure. Uh, you can actually kind of move deeper and find where that weed edge is because uh, you may find that the pike are cruising along those edges as well so let's go ahead and pull up a map um, see and I can talk about some of the uh, types of the structure or areas I'm looking at uh, when it comes to finding uh, locations to fish for pike so lake I'm going to be highlighting here is Green Lake uh, so this lake is a lake that you know historically has been known for holding good pike, as well as um, plenty other type of game fish. You know, you've got largemouth, smallmouth bass. Uh, you got perch, bluegill, uh, panfish. You've also got walleye, as well as lake trout in it as well. And this lake, uh, you know, does get pretty deep. You know you're looking at right around a hundred foot mark for some of the deepest holes that it has. So, and again, so now I'm really looking at the top, you know, the depth map of what the lake's really showing. So I'm really focusing on um, kind of where those shallow areas are next to maybe some drop offs. Also looking for, you know, some coves or bays to focus on as well. And another one good thing to focus on is if there's any type of. Um, You know, feeder stream or river coming into it that's gonna cause create some current where fish may be cruising in and out of those inlets or outlets. So on the south side of this lake is one area that I focused on. You know, it's one corner of this of a little bay. You do have a a river that flows out of it, and at the base of this bay, you'll basically have the shallow flat. Again, that's generally what I'm looking at. It gets up to about in one one portion of the bay you have about a, a section where it's eight to ten foot of water and then it does a significant drop off all the way down to about 60 foot of water so might be focusing on the eight foot water section fish a little bit shallower fish a little bit deeper and try to find where those fish may be um, within that water column again looking at uh, some of the structure as well so one new thing that i invested into this year is an underwater camera so it's an Ocu, Ocuview underwater camera. Uh, that has really been a game changer for me uh, in regards to being able to send the camera down, see what the structure looks like on the bottom. Am I dealing with, uh, you know, what type of weed bed am I dealing with? Is it a mud flat? Is it a rocky bottom? And then and then we can get into how it helps when regards to actually the fishing setup. But it's a great way to be able to test and see what you're looking at um, down towards the bottom of, of where you're fishing Um, so in this bay there's another good flat spot where again it's away from that outlet a bit but there's another portion of that bay where it has a long drawn out point or a flat area um, basically a big flat um, before it goes into a drop off as well that flat is another good area to target as well you know before that drop off or that significant drop off where you have a Basically, kind of like a, a flat bench um, to work with. You know, again, those pike may be cruising up on that flat or along the edges of that drop off. Again, either inside those weeds in that weedy cover, um, if there's significant structure in there, or they may be on the edge of that of that weed growth um, as it starts to drop off. So as it continues to drop off, you're going to see that eventually the, that weed that weed bed is going to fall off because eventually it's going to you know, get deep enough where there's not getting good sunlight and you're not going to get weed growth. Right on that edge is another good point place to focus on. At this point here you're looking at closer to about the 11 to 12 foot of water um, before it drops off. Again, we're kind of in that butter zone of where I generally find pike at. And then up to the further point up here to the north of the lake. Up in one corner basically the northwest corner of it there's a really big um, basically a flat uh, you know basically it goes you know kind of hangs out in that five to like ten foot water range and is a giant area um, of this more or less a flat uh, you know flat terrain you know it covers several acres of, of ground And then it has, you know, uh, areas where it transitions quite slowly uh, or tapers off slowly into some deeper water, and then also some tight areas with some significant drop-offs. Same thing, you know, that flat; those pike will be cruising in there, um, hunting. Now, the only issue with this area is because of how large it is, uh, you may have to travel quite a bit to try to find uh, where exactly the the fish may be looking. Or maybe holding up or cruising that so you want to look at you know some areas that maybe are close to some transition areas take a look at what type of weed cover you're dealing with and you want to try to get the best combination of terrain um, depth change you know drop off part of that flat as well as the weed cover and try to find the best spot um, which would more or less have your highest concentration of, of fish you know, that's the way I would address this area is you know, looking at what's the best spot that I would expect the fish to be, and just kind of hold up there, knowing that it's probably going to be, um, you know, kind of a hot spot for them. But the other way you could approach it is, you know, basically kind of jumping spot to spot to spot to spot and kind of chasing down until you find exactly, you know, where they're at, and then fish that place really hard. And then once it dies down, move and try to find another place where they could be cruising um, or moving within that flat. So this spot's not bad, but again, because of the sheer size of the area, um, you know, you could have to drill out a lot of holes to be able to find where the fish are at. So another thing I like to see is any type of point that comes out, or a peninsula that may come out. You know, basically on the inside curve of that peninsula, same thing where that point comes out, you might catch them right at the end of that peninsula there, depending how uh, if there's much of a flat there or if it drops off quite significantly, you know, again, if there's a nice flat out there with a drop off, I would fish that edge of that drop off there. Knowing that those fish may, you know, come around that point, trying to get to another part of the lake. And then if you have any type of like sunken island as well, where, especially if it comes off a peninsula or any type of, um, you know, if it's in within a bay or Um, basically adjoined or adjacent to some other type of um, you know landmass any significant change from you know the you know the shoreline so and this may be you know out towards the middle middle of the water or again if it's adjacent to some type of you know shoreline structure even better so on this lake here there's a big uh, You know flat um at the end of a point of a peninsula you know the the shallow in the within the shallow area it gets to about five foot of water and then all around it is a significant drop off that gets you down to you know on one end about 30 foot of water on the other end it'll drop all the way down to about 50 feet of water so again a couple areas i'm going to be focused on is on the edge just before that that drop off and what i'm going to do again i'm going to put maybe a tip up in, in that on that flat, you know, somewhere within the weed cover, be right on the edge of it, and they may even put one just on the, just within the drop off on the edge of that weed weed cover or that weed line as well. And then as I'm fishing, whichever area seems to be getting the most attention, I may move you know the rest of my setup into that area. Another area I like is where basically off of this point a lot of times you'll have a bit of a drop off and then where this flat is it kind of creates kind of like what you would find um if you're deer hunting again a bit of a saddle where you got uh you know kind of a pinch point of uh you know in between two drop-offs and you have a little bit of a flat that leads up into a bit of a a drop in uh, water depth and then it comes back up onto this sunken island and then where it dropped off a little bit from that peninsula that little bit of a flat and that pinch point um, is another good area where you might catch fish that are cruising from that sunken island up towards the shoreline or if fish are not want to go you know are spawn to stay up on this flat and not go into the deep water that creates a you know pinch point and you'll catch cruising fish at that depth all right so In regards to uh, my type of setup, I've got again. Last year, I ran primarily just tip ups. You know, tip ups are really easy to set up, and uh, you know they're really good. uh, Kind of like a a low effort uh, way to fish. Really, you know, you basically set them up at your depth that you're looking at. Set them up with a minnow. Now for pike, I'm generally looking at um you you know some goldens or sucker minnows you know, those scent you know generally are what's around uh at the bait shops where i'm at and i'm generally looking at something uh, i generally kind of mix it up for size wise you know i may go as small as like a, a four to five inch uh, minnow and then i may go all the way up to like uh like a six or seven inch minnow as well you know certainly if you're targeting much larger fish you would go with a larger uh, bait as well but for me you know i'm basically in most of the lakes i'm looking at i'm trying to just catch some decent eaters maybe catch onto a really big fish um, with some of those larger you know minnow setups. Uh, but i'm still just trying to figure it out so i'm not getting too greedy on trying to you know get that next echelon level of fish um you know i, I kind of want to you know just catch fish at this point so for my tip-up setup, I got, um, these are new for this year, um, for me anyways. These are the those thermal, freeze-proof uh, tip-ups here. So, so far, I've liked them. So, you know, they do a good job. You know, I even was fishing in some very cold temperatures where it did prevent a lot of the ice up. The one thing with them is because of how low the profile is, um, when you set them up, Is that if you are dealing with some drifting or heavy snow uh, these can get buried pretty pretty easily Um, and if you get enough snow on top of this lighter setup uh, it may hold the flag down um, from you know from popping Um, so you may want to watch that especially if you're getting into heavy snow or if it's high wind and you're getting some drift drifting going on um, you may want to watch that and then for my line setup so I run basically two different setups. Again, I'm not going for um, really some jumbo fish on this one here. So I've got some tip-up line here. This is 30-pound tip-up tip up line. And I've attached a swivel to it with, a, with somewhere between a three to four-foot fluorocarbon leader. Now this is 30-pound. I also got a setup with <laughs> some 60-pound, Uh, fluorocarbon 60 pounds probably uh, a little a little overkill um, especially for the caliber of fish I'm going after right now Uh, but again unfortunately the the tackle shop that I was uh, shopping at they didn't have anything like in the 40 pound or you know 50 pound range Um, so I jumped all the way up to 60 so then it does uh, you know you lose some of the flexibility within it uh, but it is still probably a little more flexible than even going with like a steel leader. And again, with the fluorocarbon, it's more or less going to be invisible in the water. Um, so, again, if you have something that's a little uh, shy of tackle, uh, it's going to give you a little bit better um, you know, opportunity. And then for hook size, I run between a four or a, a two and a four uh, treble here. So, this one here again. I, I went with a little bit larger hook, uh, even on this 30 pound fluorocarbon. You know, generally I would run the number fours on this this lighter leader, and then run the the number twos on uh, the heavier 60 pound. So when I have set up with um, some speed, some speed sets as well that have you know basically two trebles on it uh, for some of the larger setups as well. You know, basically I have. Uh, more or less i put three hooks on it Uh, a typical speed setup you would have um, essentially uh, like a some type of leader um, that kind of v's down and hooks to the front and the back of the minnow Uh, essentially what i've done is i've added a third hook uh, usually a single hook that can hook in the center of the minnow that keeps that um, that speed set away from you know creating like a like a tripod almost. So if the fish comes in, they're not running into that wire or, or the line um, as part of that speed set. They're basically gonna be able to bite right down on the minnow uh, without catching a line that's kind of protruding out away from the minnow, um, aside from that single line coming up from the middle, middle of the fish. So I have used that. Uh, you know what, honestly, you know, unless I was really fishing with some really big minnows, and was worried about you know the fish not taking the whole minnow, um, or not being able to take the hook. I would probably switch to um, using more of that speed speed setup, but single hook you know for most most of the the fish that I'm you know targeting is is good enough. So the other thing that I've been starting doing so I, I started watching some YouTube channels, um, and I got hooked on uh, one. It's uh, fishing with Brian. Uh, he's out in Minnesota. And basically he was doing a lot of um, you know basically he's uh, using a jigging setup as well for uh, for going after Pike um, through the ice so he'd set up a tip up um, you know basically in a shanty and then also setting up uh, with a um, some type of jigging setup and even with that you know I found some pretty good success with that so um, so what I've got here is a 28 inch uh, medium rod here so with it being a 28 inch it works pretty good in my smaller shanty now with it being only a 28 inch you know I am noticing that especially for some of the larger fish that uh, you know it would be nice to have a little bit longer rod to be able to you know take some of the strain off the line how this line I actually I honestly don't even know uh, what um, what poundage it is um so basically what i've done is i've thrown a steel leader on it as well um just to protect the line uh you know probably you know before the end of the season i will probably switch this out put some braid on there you know probably some nothing that's too crazy uh you know again with it being on the smaller rod and this jiggy setup so what i've been running is this five of diamonds And just jigging this next to my minnow so what i'll do is i'll get that get it set up next to the get this set set up next to my tip up throw one of the minnow heads on part of that treble and i'm just basically just jigging it just to create some motion some flash um, get some additional movement and you know, draw some more, more attraction, uh, you know, with that jigging setup. You know, with that side of the jig, you know, I did have uh, a decent sized pike come in. Unfortunately, I didn't have a good setup to be able to really get a recording of it, but I was watching on the Aquaview. Again, that's part of the reason why I like that having that setup uh, with the Aquaview, because I can see what's going on. So I'm sitting there jigging. Also, sudden this, probably a nice 20 inch pike comes in, dive bombs the jig. And misses it, and then immediately turns his attention at the sucker minnow and just in just inhales the sucker minnow, and next thing you know, I'm grabbing at the tip up, set the hook, and got it brought in. So so it was, it was a pretty awesome experience. Um, that was really the first uh, significant encounter that I had using that light, you know, using the, the underwater camera with the jigging setup with the tip up setup, and it, it was pretty exciting to see. Uh, you know that interaction of that pike coming in missing it and then immediately turning and you know going after that minnow i mean that that fish was definitely coming in hungry and was looking to looking to eat and then typically too what i do then too or typically as well you know being up in those flats and whatnot you, you'll catch some schools of uh you know some smaller perch blue wheel coming in so i will have another rod next to me um with a smaller jig for going after those you know those those panfish and perch uh one thing i i did switch to is a a, basically a different jig that has um you know basically it's got three hooks on it it's got hook in the front hook in the back and then treble in the middle Uh, again i'll take like a little uh shiner minnow and stick it on stick the head on that treble below it give it a little bit more sight or a little bit more scent a little bit more flash Um, but the nice thing about having those hooks on both ends is because i was dealing with um where a single hook you know jig hook where a lot of the perch and bluegill were you know inhaling the front end of the of the jig and not taking the hook and then as soon as you know you're waiting either to for them to inhale the rest of it or you go to set the hook on them and there's no hook in them and then they and you jerk it out and then you miss them I have those hooks uh, on both ends so regardless of what end they come from they're gonna get a hook in um, when they inhale it so that's something that I've been focusing on more is just figuring out you know the better way to or which better jig setups um, to use uh, to increase my chances of, of catching again having that that uh, underwater camera has made that so much easier because I can actually see what's happening why I'm missing those hook sets but again primary thing is going after the pike now again with that jig setup and the minnow setup that i have you know if you don't depending on the size of the jig or the minnow that you have another significant thing that i've been catching is a lot of the bass as well you know those bass again are very you know aggressive predators they'll come flying in you know i had a god nice uh actually got this one on uh, basically recording the camera the 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 screen for the underwater camera with my phone and caught a great interaction where a largemouth bass came in dive on the jig grabbed onto the minnow head and missed the hook and basically the minnow head slid out of his mouth he turned around completely engulfed the the jig as well as the minnow was able to set the hook and actually caught got the catch on camera So, so that was a really fun interaction so i'm learning a lot uh, especially you know getting back into it having some additional gear and some new tactics of going at it this year so certainly you know if you're if you're not the really ice fishing or thinking about getting into it pike's a really good one to get into um, they're very aggressive fish you know generally you can you can kind of pinpoint where they're at or where they're going to be potentially and again if you're if you're you not too sure you can set up tip-ups very easy way to kind of get a lay of the land figure out or very you know kind of passive way to fish but yeah certainly something that you know i would encourage anyone that is looking to get in ice fishing um that's a good good route to take and especially during the off season from from deer hunting you know it's again where you know middle of winter you're still not looking at turkey hunting yet or anything like that so you, there's certainly some small game hunting you can do. But yeah, a great, great way to, you know, spend the the winter. Again, the only issue is or the only thing that you, especially like with this season going on, is that you really want to pay attention to uh, the ice conditions and you know be very careful when exploring different areas of a, of a lake, um, especially if you don't haven't had significant weather that would um, you know promote you know good ice. So. But yeah, that's my spiel on um, you know what I've been doing over the past few weeks targeting um, targeting the northern pike. I mean, they're an absolute blast to catch. They're just super, again a super aggressive fish, um, and I'm just I'm just hooked on them. So I'm just ate up with going after them. Uh, you know, even when it comes to summertime fishing, I'm I'm still going after them more than I am for bass or anything like that. So so I'm gonna wrap this one up. Again, pike fishing is absolute blast. I recommend it to anyone to get out there on the ice while you still can. And with that, as always, get out there, be safe and have fun.